Hello and welcome to the B2B Sales Playbook Podcast, brought to you as ever by Lead Forensics. I am your host, Joe Ducaro. This episode of the B2B Sales Playbook Podcast is the audio taken from a webinar we ran recently called Problem Prospecting. For this, I was joined by Mark Akers, author of the number one bestseller, Problem Prospecting. Mark was a delightful guest on the B2B Sales Playbook and he offers up some excellent advice for people struggling with their pipeline. There's absolutely loads to take away from this one, so without further ado, here is Mark Akers with the Problem Prospecting Playbook. So let's, we'll jump straight into it, shall we? How can you identify and prioritise your target prospects during a slow market? So I think the important thing there is, first of all, mindset. People still buy in a slow market. They might just be a little slower to buy. It just needs to be an easy decision. It needs to be that the pain and the problem are so great they want to solve it. And that's where we need to focus our time. We need to focus our time on people that have the pain and the motivation to solve it because they will still buy. Been in sales for 15 years or so, never have I ever spoke to anyone on the first call they've told me they've got a budget sat there for what i'm selling but lo and behold if they have the pain and the motivation to solve it and there's a solid business case then budget becomes available and in terms of how we prioritize we've got to work out who's got the need who's maybe interested in speaking with us who's engaging with our stuff one of the key things for me over the last i'm going to say five years has been building a this sounds really um I don't know what the right, right word is politely, but you'll see what I mean. Egotistical, perhaps, is talk about personal brand, right? But like everyone's got a personal brand. It just depends how, how big or small that personal brand is. And what I mean by personal brand is when people see you, it's how you make them feel, their perception of you. I've invested a lot into my own personal brand, which I look to be seen as someone that my ICP, Ideal Customer Profile, looks to for advice guidance tips tricks consultative ideas etc so i spend a lot of my time writing content sharing content on linkedin i'm trying to be convinced to join tiktok but i don't really know much about it but i believe it could work i'm just i'm not quite ready to make that jump but uh, anyway i spend a lot of my time putting content on linkedin for my icps i.e sales leaders and off the back of that, people come to me because they see what I'm posting, it resonates with them. And a lot of the time it takes a while, they're like lurkers, they just follow. Eventually they'll start to eventually start to comment, eventually they'll land in my inbox. But who's engaging with your stuff is a great place to start. But not just you, what about your company? One of the things that sales reps never seem to do is look at who's following their company on social media. Right? They're following you for a reason, right? Like people don't like to really follow companies. People like to follow people. So if they're following your company, there is a level of interest there. What about your competitors? Maybe they're following your competitors because they put out great content, but they haven't bought from them. Have a look at that. There's intent data out there. So there's loads of platforms out there that give you intent data. There's lead forensics that will tell you who's been on your website and who's obviously interested. I think the other thing is familiarity. Familiarity always helps. So personal brand does that. You can pick up the phone and be like, yes, I've seen you on LinkedIn, I follow your stuff or whatever. But familiarity in terms of go to marketing, ask who signed up for the newsletter. Again, people don't do that unless they're interested at some point in time. Trade shows, who's had their name badge scanned at train shows? Don't turn your nose up at old leads. People that have shown interest in your brand at some point in the past, reach out to them. Sales reps 
turn their nose up at old leads and it's just crazy. They'd rather go and find someone in the wilderness that knows nothing about their business than call someone up who signed up for their newsletter because it was eight months ago. You can go in the CRM. I put a LinkedIn post about this today, actually, an example of me practicing what I preach, but the LinkedIn post was all about actionable tips and tricks to create more pipeline. And I put, go in your CRM, create a closed loss list. Um, this time, call them up from QA, quality assurance, and ask them the reasons they didn't go ahead. I guarantee most of the reasons given by a prospect to QA will be the truth. And it will vary wildly to the box ticked in the CRM because in the CRM, a rep will often tick, not interested, ghosted, went with a competitor, couldn't afford it. But those are just the reasons that are given to the rep to select. What they don't do is pick. I was rubbish on the discovery call. I failed to uncover this need. I didn't appreciate who the DM was. I didn't uncover this feature or widget that was really important to them. When you call it from QA, they might say to you, we didn't go ahead because you didn't have this feature. Maybe now you do. They might say, we couldn't afford the annual upfront agreement. Maybe now in a slower market, you'll take quarterly or monthly payments. You will uncover the truth from QA. And when you know the truth, you can often fix it. You can also create closed loss, sorry, not closed losses, CRM lists, no shows. People didn't show up. Well, they had an interest, phone up, try and get them back on. So there's lots you can do in a slow market. It's just about going, above and beyond thinking outside the box and actually mm. digging in places that perhaps other people aren't digging. Yeah, I've thrown a lot at you there, Joe. I'm assuming people can listen back to this and write down some ideas. Absolutely. We do promise value with all of our uh, all of our podcasts and webinars that we do, Mark. And what you've done expertly is condensed so much into your first answer. So that's incredible. Just on the, the you started off about social media side of things. And I think it's a really valuable tool for you to then, if you're offering out that value, like you say, your tips and tricks and bits and pieces like that, you start to be seen as an authority on this sort of thing. So it, it builds that credibility for your buyers, doesn't it? If they can instantly see your face and go, ah, this guy knows what he's talking about. It breaks down so many different barriers, doesn't it? So what you mentioned, you make content of that sort of with that subject in mind. What types of content are you making then? Yeah, so it's a really good question. I think here's the headline for anybody, right? And I'm not trying to downplay my skill set, if you will, or expertise, so to speak. I'm just trying to bring a little bit of realism to this. I'm nothing special. Like I'm just someone that's been in sales for 15 years and I've learned lots of things, mostly the hard way through mistakes. Here's the difference. What I'm doing is I'm sharing my knowledge that has been gained from experience and mistakes. It's been learned from coaches and mentors. It's been learned through life. And I'm sharing it on a way on LinkedIn that captures attention, people are interested and they enjoy reading that content. I noticed that's what a lot of the successful people do. And I spend time talking to them. I've gone to sales conferences where it's just sales coaches and trainers and thought leaders. And they're all the same. They're all, they all wear pants and socks like you and I, but because they put stuff out there, they get seen as an expert. It's a little bit like if you are a producer at, let's say, the BBC and you put someone on TV, they become a celebrity, even though they're not. We see them out there. We feel like we know them. There's familiarity. We feel like they're a celebrity. And with LinkedIn, simply by me sharing content that is carefully designed content for, I share it for a few people. So I share it for the people that my, my history is their future. And what I mean by that is I've been that sales rep that started out 
too scared to pick up the phone, not a clue how to write an email. My calendar invites sucked. My demos were just presentations. I've been that rep and no one showed me what to do. So I write content to help try and speed up their development because I wish someone did that for me. I write content for people that are in the same part of their lives as me right now and still figuring this out. And I write content for my ICP, which is sales leaders and one of the people that are gonna buy, right? So I have a mix of content. I actually looked this morning because I thought you might ask me a similar type question. So I launched my sales coach at the start of January. So it's been a little bit busier than what it would have been having uh, air quotes, just the sales rep, right? Air quotes, because it's a bloody hard job. But obviously I'm co-founder of a business now. I've got a lot more going on. I've definitely slacked on LinkedIn. I've struggled for time, but I've posted just about 50 LinkedIn posts since about the 10th of January. And I would say three, maybe four of them have been adverts, so to speak, for what my sales coach does. The rest have been lessons I've learned, actionable tips and tricks, how to do something, frameworks, personal stories that link to sales, the odd funny meme, encouragement about mindset and productivity, telling people they're not alone. I've advertised podcasts that I've listened to or that I've taken inspiration from or that I've been on. And then the odd personal promo for the book or for the video series I just released. But as I say, three, maybe four have been adverts for my sales coach. And I would say two of those, one was, look what I'm doing, I've just started a new business. Mm. The other was why and i feel like you can really discount those because you don't post them anymore so about five percent of my posts are about buy my stuff the rest are designed to make people want to read more and follow me on this journey and feel like they know me so when i do reach out to them they want to speak to me and bear in mind again i use the air quotes of just the sales rep because i'm doing so many other things i don't get much prospecting time i reckon less than I really think 15% is generous. I reckon I spent less than 15% of my time prospecting, but I've booked over 120 meetings since January, just because when I reach out to people, they feel like they know me, there's familiarity, they followed me, they want to talk to me. I've nothing special. I just put myself out there. And anyone can do that. It's just learn to do it well, because a lot of people try and do it poorly, in my opinion. It's very much become the what you've hit upon there, Mark, is almost the motto of the B2B sales playbook or the essential B2B podcast webinars that we do is that people buy from people. And what you're demonstrating there demonstrably is you've built a rapport, you've built a relationship, people know you, so then they will come to buy you, which I guess, is that harder or easier during a dry spell then? The fact that, because this is something that, that often I hear people struggling with is the fact that they hear so much people buy from people, build relationships with them, but at the same time, they have sales quotas to hit. So when you're looking in not necessarily well-trodden avenues for prospects and that sort of thing, does that sort of thing make it easier or is it much the same? So, so it totally makes it easier. I think to expand upon people by people, I think we need to be really clear. People don't buy from people they like. I've had loads of people say to me, uh, again, it's just because 15 years, people say to me, oh, I liked you the most, or oh, you did the best job, but, but they've gone for the product that is best for them or the price that is best. People don't buy from people they like. It might be harder to give that bad news, but it doesn't help. What people do is they buy from people that they trust. 
And I have definitely won deals because people trust me when they might have picked a different product that might have even been cheaper, but they trust me because of how I portray myself and put myself across and what I share. And the fact that I make myself a student of sales and the market and whatnot. But yeah, I think, so there's that. I think it definitely makes it easier. Here's the bad news. If you're having a slow spell now, you're not going to, be able to do this to save yourself because you can't do it overnight. Um, but know this, dry patches are coming again in the future. Like I've gone through, I think like this is my third difficult economic backdrop in my career. So I've won every five years, so it's coming again. And I think what you do now will only serve you well in the future. It's about dedicating the time to it. And I think that's the thing a lot of people don't appreciate. Like last night, so I'm away on a little family weekend down in, I don't even know where I am, it's raining, it's like bristol area. I mean, see my, see my wife's sister. I'm in the Airbnb while they're having a day out. But last night, when my wife was putting my kids to bed at half eight, that's when I wrote my LinkedIn post that went out this morning. You've got to dedicate and make time to it, but the rewards are there. But I say, you don't just have to do that though. Like I gave you at the start, all those other things that you can do because it's all about familiarity. You know what I mean? Like people knowing your brand or knowing your messaging or the problems that you solve can trump knowing the sales rep as well. So let's stick with the, the building trust angle of it then. How can you leverage customer referrals to generate leads during a drought? I would say, and I think many people listen to this would go, yeah, me too. It's one of the things I'm weakest at. I can't explain it. We all know listening to this, that asking for referrals is a great way of getting hot opportunities, right? I know that, but it's one of the things that I'm the worst at. I have made more of a conscious effort last quarter though, and it's so easy. You just got to do it. And there's no reason you don't do it. I just, I wish I could look you in the eye and tell you why I don't do it. (laughs) But here's one of the questions I like to ask people, right? So you get towards the end of the call and regardless of how it's going, you say, can I ask you some advice, Joe? And no one says no to that. Everyone wants to give advice because they they feel like they've been lifted up. You want advice from me? Yeah, absolutely. What? And you go, if you were me and you had to go and do a call blitz, who's the first three people you pick up the phone to? Mm. And people love to go, ooh, those three people. And then <laughs> they're names, right? And from there you go, okay, let's just say they said a woman called, I don't know, Tracy, right? Or Tracy, whoever. Okay, Tracy, yeah, no, that's, that sounds like a really good lead. What's the best way to get hold of Tracy if you know her? And often they go, why don't I just introduce you? <laughs> really? I wasn't thinking of that. Like people like to help people. Like human beings like to help. They just don't like to be helped. They don't like to help when they're asked to do it. Do you know what I mean? People like to do it and feel like good about themselves. So asking that, who's the first three people you pick up the phone to if you were me? The other thing you can have is you can have it in your calendar, right? Once a week, make sure you contact someone and ask for a referral. The other thing is when you find someone, so like, again, Joe, say I landed on your LinkedIn profile, we've probably got some mutual connections, right? The key is, let's say our mutual connection is someone called Tony, right? I'd go to Tony, I'd go, Tony, would you introduce me to Joe? It's a lot easier for Tony now. What's hard is when sometimes, I know it goes against my first bit of advice, you've got to try different things, is when you say to someone, could anyone you could introduce me to be really helpful? Because then they've got to think. But if you go, look, Tony, I see we're connected to Joe here. You wouldn't mind introducing me. If you were me, how would you get in front of Joe? You take away the thinking element and they'll do it. The next thing is like, you just say, look, I'll I'll write what I need you to say. 
right? Because again, people don't know what to write. Oh, I don't mm. know what my past coach does. What do I write? It's really awkward. If I go, Joe, Tony, how should I get in touch with him? Oh, I can introduce you. Brilliant. I'll tell you what, I'll write the email for you. You just need to edit it. I made your life really easy. Here's another great one. Negotiate it. So when people are negotiating with you, give, get. Well, if you're a happy customer, can we agree that once a month you will make an introduction to me? I'll tell you who I want to be introduced to based on your LinkedIn network, but once a month. Yeah, sure, happy to do that. Because they feel like it's just something they can give for free and they get a discount. Then once a month you go to that person, but as part of our agreement, this is the person that you introduced me to this month. Or you do customer calls. Once a month, will you speak to a prospect of mine? Because we all get asked, can I speak to some of your customers? And it's a really awkward thing to get asked. You want to protect your customers. But I've had that before where someone's agreed to have three of those calls a month to get 5% off. That's worth 5% of a contract value, right? There's things you can do. Obviously, you can have a partnership program as well. Customer success should be playing ball here. They should be telling you who the warm and happy customers are just after they've renewed as well. They've just locked themselves in for another year. So there's lots you can be doing there. Here's the reality. Most salespeople, including myself, are crap at it. And we need to get better at it. And I've given you some ways to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I appreciate the honesty from you there, Mark. Just saying, look, this is just something I'm not so hot at the minute. No, hugely appreciate that. Again, you're getting a lot of value out of this webinar, folks. So then you touched earlier on looking at what your competitors are doing and that sort of thing. How can you stand out in a crowded market against those competitors, particularly in tricky times? I think it depends how your competitor so uh, my previous company we had a competitor that was a true unicorn right i remember like early stages we started to hear about them didn't know much then all of a sudden they raised and i'll get this number wrong but it was something actual it was something like 200 million it was like whoa okay this is a problem right and then a year later they raised again i'll get the number wrong but it, it was something like 70 million there was 100 million and you're like who the hell are these guys here's the thing it was brilliant it was brilliant for us. I always compare it to, so whenever I take my son to the aquarium, sharks swimming around, right? Not everyone can be that. But do you know it's the little fish that swim by the side of the shark? They just get free meals because the shark doesn't want everything or that can't work everything. When you start to raise serious cash, you have to do a lot to improve, to impress your investors. You have to raise prices. You can't discount. You have to be really aggressive with your terms and length of service. Don't give much away. And for prospects that want the shark, they're like, bloody hell, it's annual upfront, it's a two-year deal, there's no discounts, I have to buy a license to everybody. I can't afford that. Well, maybe one of the fish on the side are just as good. And that's what we did. We gobbled up all the opportunities they couldn't have. We let them genuinely put an advert on the Super Bowl. And people that couldn't afford them would come to us because we positioned ourselves as the alternative because not everyone needed that. So <laughs> they're standing out. Here's the other thing. It comes back to that personal brand and that trust. I yeah. won my absolute fair share of deals against this juggernaut because I knew the market. And actually, I never spent my time selling. I spent my time helping people to buy. I was very comfortable starting my conversations with, look, tell me what you're looking for. And I'll tell you out of us and that competitor who you should buy. And number of times I'd have no problem going, I think you should buy them. And either they would agree with me, and in which case, I don't want to waste my time begging and convincing people to come with me. I want to focus my time on where I could win. And that's the people that when they told me they need X, Y, and Z, I'd be like, you should come to me, and here's why. But law of motion, if you push people away, they'll come back.
And then that just either, why don't you just leave this six months? No, I can't do that. Let me tell you why. Why don't you just go with them instead? I think that, yeah, but they're too expensive. Oh, okay. Now you're telling me why you can't go with them. So yeah, yeah. standing out, come back down to making sure you truly understand where you win and why you win. Being able to convey that in a way to your prospects, to educate them, to help them decide what they want to buy and being comfortable pushing them away because you're not the shark, but there's still enough food in that tank for you to make all the money that you want to make. You don't have to be number one in life to win. Yeah, you don't have to be the shark. It's not. What To change tack ever so slightly then, what role does would email marketing campaigns play in prospecting and how can you optimize those for better results so i think that's probably the vulnerable bit for me running email marketing campaigns in the sense of i, I don't have a great deal of exposure of running email marketing campaigns in in truth i struggle with email a little bit and what i mean by that is i struggle with it as a concept and again i'm probably not explaining myself properly since you and i have been speaking i have had four emails right four emails come through my, my inbox is my my inbox is like three months old it had like two thousand emails in it right my point being like it's a premium space that people compete for and i do struggle therefore with so many people focusing on email and um, i think there's absolutely a need for it and you've got to use it as part of a cadence and a sequence and where email can be really helpful is tracking tracking who opens it what they look at, how long for, do they share it? And more importantly, when someone opens it, that's when you that's when you act, right? I, amount of times you go, just thinking about you, no way, really? <laughs> it's like magic. Yeah, it's like magic, right? So one of the most successful parts of my career is when I sold to the hospitality industry, I sold to HR managers. They had no idea what a sequence was. They had no idea what track, but it gets to the fourth in the sequence and they're, I'm so sorry, I've not replied to you. My God, you've been trying. And I just got sent four emails on a sequence, but it depends right now. I sell to sales leaders. They see that before the second sequence has come. And again, it's about standing out. So it's about that first email being hyper-personalized, about being about them, not about you. It's about being something that engages and encourages them. So. Email is definitely important, but so many people talk about like cold calling being dead or social selling not taking off, but no one really questions email being dead. And I think mm. in this day and age, when there's so many ways you can get hold of people, I mean, I've booked meetings through WhatsApp. Do you know what I mean? That's the one that I think is the most difficult. But if you do it right, and that's the key to everything, right? And then you track the journey and you track engagement and you split test and you optimize and then you follow up in a timely manner. Email can be really powerful. I just, I feel like it's the one that most people are on because so easy as a sales rep to sit with your cup of tea and go, yeah, send 10 emails this hour, I'm mint. And it's, how many people are gonna actually even open that? We had Aaron Evans from from Flow State on a little while ago, and he was saying similar things. We had we got the telephone, we ruined the telephone. We got email, we ruined the email. That's sort of so he's putting stock very much in video at the minute. So hence, if you did feel like starting on TikTok, Mark, there you go. <laughs> you also mentioned at the top in your sort of very comprehensive answer to my first question. You mentioned probably my favourite word in this whole thing, which is mindset. So. How can you stay motivated and positive during a dry spell? Okay, so I wrote a LinkedIn post about this, right? Again, Prad's my bridge. I think <laughs> for anybody listening to this, 
if you are struggling for motivation, know this, I get it. No, nobody really wants to prospect or do cold outreach in a dry spell. And we can tell ourselves a lie that it's impossible and it's really hard. And nobody wakes up excited to cold call or send emails. Like, no, nobody. And I get people in interviews telling me, oh, no, I do, I do. You're a liar. No one wants to do that. It's manual, it's grubby, society looks down on it. My, my mother-in-law thinks I'm a nuisance PPI caller because I work in sales. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm not out digging holes in the road. She doesn't respect what I do. Uh, but here's the thing, it has to be done. You have to do this to be successful. And here's the thing, if you're sat there going, yeah, but one day I'll be motivated as if by magic, then I've got bad news. That's not gonna happen you need to make the motivation happen so before motivation comes action you literally have to force yourself to do the things that you don't want to do cold calling emailing social selling right once you get going once you start having success that's when motivation appears mm. as if by magic right it's like going to the gym the hardest thing about going to the gym is going that's the hardest thing, right? Showing up, but you never regret walking out of the gym, right? You never leave the gym going bloody, wish I didn't done that, right? unless you maybe injured yourself. You never regret that workout. And it's the same with prospecting, even if it's a tough time. And look, it'll always be a tough time for someone, for some industry, the world's just like that. But the hardest part of prospecting is doing it. Right? But you never regret making the cold call where someone accepts a meeting. You never regret sending an email when someone replies back going, I'd love to chat. You never regret it. But I'll say it again before motivation comes action and you can control that. So make it happen. That would be what I'd say. Yeah, you absolutely. Yeah. You, if you can't control what you do or don't have to do, you can control how you approach it the phrase there okay so mark you've offered up so much value and then so many tips and tricks which is exactly what we're after from you so thank you very much for that today if there was one golden rule that you would love everybody to take away from this conversation today one key piece of advice what is that top tip today Ooh, ultimately in sales you are the ceo of your own success right and here's the hard knocks about that where you spend your time where you choose to spend your time will 100% link to how successful you are because you can control it and here's some things I'd say to you one spend your time with people that want to buy people that have the problem the motivation to solve it too many of us in sales are hopeful salesmen hopeful we just we hope that they will buy because they've shown some level of interest we're afraid to ask the tough questions to get to where we need to be to know if they're worth our time so spend your time with people that want to buy don't spend your time in the land of hope because hope doesn't sell you are directly responsible for where you spend your time spend in the right areas and that is people that want to buy but also on the things you could control, right? You can control how many pieces of outreach you do every day. You can control how many times you pick up the phone, how many emails you send. What you can't control is if people answer the phone, if they have a great conversation, if they're in a good mood, if they've got the problem. But here's the thing, you do enough of it, 
you will have success. You've got to just figure out your numbers. And again, that comes down to being disciplined. That comes down to action before motivation, setting yourself up for success. Too often I look at calendars of SDRs and they're empty. It's what you do every day. And they're like, oh, well, I do some cold calling. When? What time? Where's your prep time? Where's your cold calling time? How many calls are you going to make in an hour? Where's your time for follow-ups? Where's your time for emails? How many emails are you going to send? Oh, I'll just do it. No, you don't. Like structure and say where you spend your time will link to how successful you are. So spend your time making sure you do the activity you need to hit your metrics. And when you're having those conversations, don't be afraid to push people away. One, one of my favorite bits from when I do coaching with my sales coach is talking about how I just push people away. I love telling people, why don't you just wait six months? I can't wait six months. And they tell me why. Why don't you just sack your sales team? I can't sack my sales team. Let me tell you why. Why, why don't you just do this yourself? I can't do this myself. I haven't got the answers. I need, I need you. Okay, it feels like we're the answer then. I spend my time pushing people away, helping people to decide for themselves if what we need is what they want. And if it is, people love to buy. If it's not, no hard feelings. We're not for everybody and we move on. So there's a lot there. I suppose the high level is you are responsible for where you spend your time. Make sure you set yourself up for success with the time that you've got and spend your time with people that want to buy. Don't be a hopeful salesman, person, salesperson. Fantastic stuff. Mark Akers, thank you so much for joining us for this B2B Sales Playbook webinar. Well, there we go. Mark Akers on the Problem Prospecting Playbook. Our key takeaways then. Prioritize target prospects by identifying those who are interested in speaking, engaging with content, and following your company on social media. Invest time in creating content that resonates with your ICP, ideal customer profile. People buy from those they trust, so focus on building trust through personal branding and becoming a trusted authority in your field. Generate leads during a drought by asking for referrals, making that a conscious effort. Reach out to mutual connections on LinkedIn and ask for an introduction. Remember, you are the CEO of your own success, and how you spend your time can determine your level of success. Thank you so much to Mark for joining me and thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to the B2B Sales Playbook podcast wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five-star rating where possible. We'll be back next week with another brilliant B2B Sales Playbook podcast.